This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Well, it seems like I'm taking on some pretty big topics here. Recently, I asked, is the Bible the Word of God? And today, I'll ask the question, is God's love unconditional? But before we get to that big question, I'd like to say that I have a new email address for you. Uh, You can still use the one that I mentioned in previous episodes, but you can use this one to contact me as well. If you have any questions or comments, anything you'd like to communicate with me about, you can write to ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. Again, that's ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. It's the letter C twice after the dot, as in cat. And also you can visit my website, which is www.cantrell.cc if you want to learn more about my work or my life, things that we do. And again, I've just begun a YouTube channel. I've uploaded several of my teachings there. As I said previously, you won't see my face there. You'll hear the podcast, and I've put the scriptures on the video so that you can follow along. Hopefully that would be helpful to some people. And before moving to the theme at hand, this question, Is God's Love Unconditional?, I want to mention something related to my talk, Reflections on Communion. As I mentioned previously in that talk, uh, one of the biggest issues facing the early church was, must a Gentile come under the Mosaic law in order to become a Christian? And this tension between Jewish believers and Gentile believers is addressed in the book of Romans and in Galatians and in the book of Hebrews, this question of, Do we need to come under the Mosaic law in order for us to follow Jesus? Does the Old Covenant apply to followers of Jesus? And the answer is no. But one part of those instructions, as I talked about in Acts chapter 15, was sent to the Gentile believers to abstain from eating blood. And this is what I call a a head-scratching scripture for me and for years. And finally, I became to understand these things. The life is in the blood. The blood of animals was given by God to make atonement for sins. Therefore, men should not eat blood because, as we see in the New Covenant, God only wants his life to enter into his people. Well, some folks may ask, scientifically, is life really in the blood, as the Bible says? And I have an answer for that. I want to mention it now as sort of a bow to wrap things up though I imagine we'll come back to these themes many times in the future. The answer to this question, is life really in the blood, as the Bible says, scientifically? Well, I read an article in the New Yorker magazine, and the article is entitled The History of Blood by Dr. Jerome Groupman. Dr. Groupman is a hematologist, that is, a doctor who specializes in the study and treatment of blood. And this is what Dr. Groupman wrote. During my training as a hematologist at UCLA 40 years ago, a senior faculty member introduced the program of study by citing a verse from Leviticus. The life of the flesh is in the blood. For the assembled young physicians, this was a biological truth. Red cells carry oxygen required for our heart to beat and our brain to function. White cells defend us against invasion by lethal pathogens. 
Platelets and proteins and plasma form clots that can prevent fatal hemorrhages. Blood is constantly being renewed by stem cells in our bone marrow. Red cells turn over every few months, platelets and most white cells every few days. And since marrow stem cells spawn every kind of blood cell, they can, when transplanted, restore life to a dying host. Well, that's what he said. He said it's a biological truth that life is in the blood. Yes, life is in the blood. And communion shows us that the Lord's plan is for his life to enter into his people. Jesus wants us to participate in his life, to abide in him as a branch abides in a vine. This is the new covenant. God cleaning us up, forgiving and forgetting our sins, renewing our spirits, putting his spirit within his people, and giving us his life to enable and empower our walk of faith. And this is the message of communion. True life, eternal life, abundant life is in the blood of Jesus. Well, on another note, before I get on to the question of is God's love unconditional apologies that I take a few sidetracks here, but I want to mention something that a friend responded to, my thoughts about the Bible being the Word of God in my previous talk, Is the Bible the Word of God? And please listen to that if you haven't already. Here's what my friend said. I was struck by your analogy to sheet music and the music itself. Now, I'll take an aside. If you haven't listened to what I said, my analogy is that the written word is very much like sheet music. And the written word, the scriptures that we have, are notations for life itself, for true life, God's life, just as sheet music is a notation for the music itself. My friend said that his pastor has said for many years that the church is starving. I'll continue the quote here. The church is starving because they're being fed a menu instead of a meal. I like that. He continues, We must learn to make the word flesh in our own bodies, in our own lives, and then live in close enough relationships to one another that we can partake of the real food. I believe, he says, Jesus in John 6 is speaking of the true communion of the body when he speaks of real meat and real drink and declaring that if we don't partake of that, then there is no life in us. And, of course, Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians that we are this one loaf, this one body, and we partake of the food and drink only through being his body under the Spirit's lordship. Well, that's a long-winded way of saying amen to your analogy. I hope the Lord continues to grow our relationships so we can all become better representatives of Christ on earth today. As essential as right doctrine is, the music is what the world needs to hear. Let's help one another learn the song and how to better pay attention to the conductor. That's what my friend said, and I say amen to that. It's good to have this spiritual unity and fellowship among brothers. Well, now, moving along, I'd like to share something that a friend wrote in response to the very first episode in this series. And what he wrote will lead us into the question, Is God's love unconditional? So my friend listened to the very first episode of this podcast, which discusses the main theme and the purpose of my talks. And you've heard this scripture before, even if this is the very first of my talks that you've listened to. You just heard this, Jeremiah six sixteen. This is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. 
ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. In that first talk, I encouraged people to stand, ask, and then walk in order to have rest for their souls. Well, my friend wrote something really good. I, I really am glad to share this with you. And I hope others will write to me as well with uh, the insight that you receive. So my friend wrote, The only thing I thought of to add, which is something I'm sure you understand, is what Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 16 and 17. And here's what that is. Jesus answered them, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, then he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. My friend continued, As you know, no matter how much we wait on the Lord, if we do not have this attitude, then we will never be able to receive his guidance. Yeah, that's what my friend wrote, and I say amen. If we do not choose to do God's will, then we will not receive God's guidance. It reminds me of what James wrote. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. Well, this was a very important lesson for me as a young believer. If I sat in judgment of God's word, then I was putting myself above it rather than under it. And who am I to judge what God has said? Well, many people do, of course, and I've fallen into that trap. A lot of people decide that they don't like some parts of the Bible. They don't like parts of what God says. Some don't like the idea of sin or of hell some don't even like the idea of objective truth. It's very easy, and I think it's quite commonplace, to have an attitude that says this, I'll ask for God's guidance, but if I don't like what I hear, then I'll find another way. And that's pretty common. Well, did you know that Thomas Jefferson, one of the highly respected founders of the United States of America, had his own version of the New Testament? He cut out all the parts that he didn't like, and he created his own, quote, Jefferson Bible, unquote. He called it the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. He did this around the year 1820, and he did it by cutting and pasting various sections from the New Testament, and his gospel excludes all of Jesus's miracles, most mentions of anything supernatural, including references to the resurrection and all the passages that portray Jesus as divine. Jefferson judged God's revelation by Jefferson's own standards. He didn't submit himself to God's truth. He put himself in judgment. Well, let me continue what my friend wrote. He said, of course, relating to this scripture, which is uh, choosing to do God's will, is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So that's how my friend ties these things together. We must choose to do his will, and then if we offer ourselves and are no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, then we'll be able to know his will. Those are related. Well, to understand this better, it helps me to set this scripture as an if-then statement. And I have several of these if-then statements that I'll talk about. 
So here is this scripture from Romans as an if-then statement. If we no longer conform to the pattern of this world and are transformed by the renewing of our mind, then we will be able to test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Now, tying these two scriptures together from John chapter 7 and Romans 12, I come up with this. If we choose to do God's will, if we no longer conform to this world, if our minds are renewed, then we will know that Jesus' teaching is divine, and then we will be able to test and approve God's perfect and pleasing will. Well, this leads me to other thoughts. There are quite a few other if-then statements in the Bible, what we might call the ifs of Jesus. And I think that's actually a great sermon title, which I'm going to work on, the ifs of Jesus. And this leads us now into this theme of, is the love of God unconditional? This question. Let's look at some of the things that Jesus said. In John chapter 8, he said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Here's another if-then statement. Uh, The then is not in the translation, but it's assumed in John chapter 6. This is just after the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, If you forgive men when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins then your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow, that is really something. So here we have it. The gospel is not unconditional. There are a lot of ifs (laughs) stated by Jesus. If we do certain things, then we will walk in God's fullness. We'll receive his gifts. We will rest in his love. The phrase, the unconditional love of God, is just not found in Scripture. Yes, God is love. And please hear what I'm saying. God is love. God loves people. And he expresses his love to people. And there are conditions to receiving his love and living in his love. It's not available unconditionally. The first step, the first condition in the Christian life is to repent. And as I've said before, that means to change, to have a new perspective, to renounce sin. If we don't repent, then we haven't even begun on the path of faith. We must abide in him and believe in him. Well, here's what Jesus said. If a man remains in me and I in him, then he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, Then he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's quite an if-then statement by the Lord. And again, here's a scripture that I often quote. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Well, let's turn that into an if-then statement. If you hear these words of Jesus and put them into practice, then you are like a wise man who built his house on a rock. If you hear these words of Jesus and do not put them into practice, then you are like a foolish man who built his house on sand. You see, there are conditions, conditions to receiving the gifts that God has. Let's return to Jeremiah 6.16. There's something pretty interesting here. 
what follows the scripture that I just read previously. So let's go back. Jeremiah 6, 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. That's the last sentence in Jeremiah 6, 16. But you said, we will not walk in it. Continuing in verse 17 and on, I appointed watchmen over you and said, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, We will not listen. Therefore hear, O nations. Observe, O witnesses, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and they have rejected my law. What do I care about incense from Sheba or sweet calamus from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. Disaster comes because people do not do what he said. They don't listen to his words. They refuse to. This clearly shows that there are conditions to finding rest for our souls. We must not only understand the will of God, but also do it. We must walk in it. If we say, I will not walk in what God has revealed, then disaster comes. Not everyone abides in Jesus. Not everyone submits to his lordship. Not everyone chooses to obey him. Jesus himself said that many are called, but few are chosen. He surely, surely loves all people, deeply loves them, and loves them so much that he gave his very life in order to save people from perishing. And yet, he does not force anyone to follow him. Well, this will bring up a question uh, for some of my listeners. What about Calvinism and Arminianism? Do we have free will or not? Well, that's certainly a very big issue that I can't address in depth at all here, but I can only say that Jesus gives us a choice, and so I assume that we do have a choice. He says, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he gives us a choice. I've heard it said that even if they call themselves Calvinists, all evangelists are Arminian, and that means they give people a choice to follow God or not. And here again is Jesus giving the conditions of being saved. In Luke chapter 9, he says, If anyone would come after me, then he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Well, there is an if. Jesus says, if... It's a condition. It's a choice to be made. Jesus says, clearly, there is a line between being a disciple and not being a disciple. And now let's look at what comes immediately following what I just read. This is another if statement by Jesus. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Will the Lord be ashamed of us when he comes in glory with the angels? The stakes are very high. And apparently Jesus will be ashamed of many people when he comes to judge. One of the earliest events that happened to me as I became a follower of Jesus was when I broke up with a girlfriend of many years. It was not my choice to break up with her, and I was really heartbroken, really sad. 
and I prayed fervently that God would make her love me. I prayed that prayer, God, make her love me. And then I had a revelation from the Spirit. If she was forced to love me, then that would not be love. Love cannot be under compulsion. I had to let her go. I had to give her freedom, though I was so very sad. It's been said that God is a gentleman. He does not force us to love him, to obey him, to have faith. It would not be faith if he forced us. He gives us a choice. We can choose to love him or not. To love him is to do his will, to allow him to be the head, to lay our lives down for him, to take up our cross daily and follow him. So is God's love unconditional? Well, not in the way most people tend to think of it. A person may think, well, since God's love is unconditional, then I need not change. He loves me just the way I am, so he accepts me as I am, and he doesn't require anything of me. Well, there's a mix of truth and falsehood here. Yes, he loves people, and yet we must be different if we're to enter into his kingdom. We must repent, turn from sin, and turn to him. Remember, even when he refused to stone the woman who was caught in adultery, he told her to go and sin no more. He instructed her to change. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, just after teaching what we know as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, If you forgive men when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, then your Father will not forgive your sins. Here again are these ifs of Jesus. If we forgive people, if we don't forgive people, these are conditions to living in his love. Jesus says if. He gives us a choice to follow him or not. And if we are to follow him, then there are conditions to being a disciple, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, to follow him, to put our faith in him, to love him more than we love ourselves. Well, as I close, Galatians chapter 6 comes to mind. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who belong to the family of believers. Well, until next time, my friends, I pray that God will continue to reveal his will and his ways to you, for his pathways are good, and they always lead to peace for the soul. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Thank you.